Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Ready by Pastor Sean Wood. We're going to come around God's Word, but before we do, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are always speaking. Our prayer as we open your Word is that we would have ears to hear this morning and eyes to see Christ. I pray that every person in the room this morning, they won't hear me, they won't see me, but they would see Jesus. I thank you in advance that your word never returns to you void. I thank you in advance that your word is seed and will produce a harvest. I pray for hearts of good soil this morning in your wonderful name. Amen. Uh, For those that are tracking with us, We're going to briefly touch on the book of Revelation this morning and then move to some context as we move our way through. For those that were with us last week, we touched on Revelations 14, which was speaking about the harvest and speaking about one of the biggest themes in the book of Revelation, which is judgment and eternal consequences. So we spoke about that last week. This week, we jump forward a few chapters and to chapter 19, something very important that is mentioned in chapter 19 of Revelation. What happens in between 14 and 19? If you were to read your way through, uh, there are seven bowls of God's judgment. You can read later on if you wish. There is the uh, great prostitute that is mentioned, but is basically speaking of the system of the world. And then there is God's judgment on Babylon and the prostitute. Then something very, very, very wonderful happens in Revelations 19. I want to read briefly, then we will jump to Matthew chapter 25 this morning, verse 1 of uh, the book of Revelation, verse 1 of chapter 19, after this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just, he has judged the great prostitute, which of course is symbolic language, who corrupted the earth with her immorality. Coming down now to verse 6, if you're following with me. And then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Uh, Heads up this morning, if singing's not your strong suit, no one's going to hear you in heaven. It's that loud in heaven, they're not going to hear your voice. It is like a voice of mighty rushing waters. Hallelujah for the Lord God our Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory. Now the verse that I wanted to touch on today. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. That's interesting language. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Verse 9, and the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Anybody feel like being blessed this morning? This morning, uh, I want to talk about the marriage supper of the Lamb. It is, uh, it is one of the major themes of the final chapters of the book of Revelation. It has a profound message for us today as God's church. If you've met me in Matthew 25, 
Uh, recently, uh, you'll note that, uh, for those that may have missed it, but uh, Queensland's had a few floods. Has anybody noticed? Uh, Northern New South Wales has been impacted with massive floods, um, and it's devastating to, to hear people on the news and to hear their stories. Uh, we have a, a church in HOA that's in Lismore that's been put underwater again for the second time in four weeks. And uh, this is nothing new for those guys in Lismore. They, they kind of live this kind of stuff fairly regularly. But back in Tasmania, floods aren't a huge concern. We get a lot of rain. In fact, on the West Coast, uh, they say on average... They get 360 wet days a year, which is pretty close. Um, so if you're on the west coast of Tassie and you get two sunny days in a row, Jesus might be coming back. But uh, So floods aren't a big problem. We do get floods, but they're, they're pretty well localised. Our rain is spread out, but we do have one uh, big problem in Tassie. It's called bushfires. Um, the problem we have in Tassie with bushfires is everybody lives in the sticks, unless you live in two of the big cities. Everybody kind of lives in the sticks, and that causes an enormous problem. Uh, one, uh, we, we have a political party in Tasmania that doesn't allow us to do backburning and fuel reduction burns, and Tasmania has an enormous amount of fuel every year. In fact, the fire service now say, not if, but when a fire comes, you need to be ready. Every year after spring, as spring's coming to an end, there is a massive advertising campaign. And uh, every year it's on the news, it's on the radio, it's on billboards, it's in the newspapers. Fire season is coming. You need to get prepared and you need to be ready. The interesting thing is that when they say you need to get prepared and you need to get ready, that doesn't mean grab a cup of tea, sit on the deck and look for smoke. That's, that's not what that means. Actually pay people to do that. Uh, what it means is get on the roof, clean out your gutters, get all the rubbish off the roof. Uh, you need to clear a safe zone between the tree line and your house because if a fire comes, you need to be prepared. And often those that are prepared are those that survive the fires. I'm not sure whether anybody can remember, uh, but back at the Black Saturday fires that swept through King Lake area. I can remember a documentary on 60 Minutes and they were interviewing one guy and they showed a drone footage of King Lake in the area around his house and it was black apart from this square of like preserved holy ground that hadn't even been touched and that was his house. And they were interviewing him because the council wanted to fine him $28,000 because he'd cut down all the trees on his property without permission. And he said, you know what? I'm going to pay the $28,000 because it was worth it to keep my house. But the message that comes out of that is he got prepared. He got ready. Now, this morning, before we go any further, if you don't hear anything else this morning, then please hear this. The message to the church of Jesus Christ today is get ready. Part of that message is that also doesn't mean grab a cup of tea, sit in the back pew of the church and wait for Jesus to do the rest. Readiness actually looks like something in your life. We're going to unpack what that looks like today. If you've met me in Matthew chapter 25, we, we need a little bit of context before we go too much further. This parable uh, absolutely surrounds uh, what is known about the first century Jewish wedding. We kind of need a little bit of context about a Jewish wedding in the first century. A little bit different to how we understand it today. But uh, Jewish weddings always began with an engagement. And the engagement was the, 
was basically the process or the time when there was an agreement drawn up between both of the fathers. It was kind of like, yes, you can have my daughter, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There was an agreement drawn up. Then they would move to what was called an engagement or betrothal was probably better language to use. And at the betrothal is where uh, the bridegroom and the bride-to-be would make promises and vows to each other in that time. It's what we probably call engagement today. But then there was an extended period of time before the marriage and the marriage feast. And in that time, which was at least weeks, but often months and regularly up to 12 months, uh, in that period of time, the bridegroom would come for his bride at a time that was not announced. No time to do your makeup, ladies. You had to have it on all the time. Imagine doing the marriage prep every morning. Doing your hair every morning. But the reality was, and we need to catch this because the parable surrounds this. This is the, uh, this is the thrust of the parable, is that what the bridegroom would do at an unannounced hour, at an hour that was only known to him, he would send out a cry that he was coming, and on his way he would pick up the bridal party. Often virgins, often unmarried ladies themselves, and their sole responsibility... Please catch this this morning. The sole responsibility of those virgins was to be ready for the bridegroom as he came past. Why? Because if you're not ready, he leaves you behind. This morning's message is not a message to unbelievers. It is a trumpet call to the church of Jesus Christ this morning. We are going to see these virgins all have lamps to begin with. We're going to see that there is enormous similarities between the virgins this morning. And and please don't look for the bride in this parable. She is not mentioned, but she is inferred. But if you have to find a bride in this parable, you will miss the meaning and the thrust. We will see that these virgins are all the same in the beginning. They all have lamps and they're all burning to begin with. Matthew 25, uh, whatever your theology is that surrounds Matthew 24, you have to do something with Matthew 25. Because what is going on in this chapter is, after Matthew 24, Jesus says, then the kingdom of God will be like this. Verse 1 of Matthew 25, then the kingdom of God. If Matthew 24 is the end of the world and everything's wrapped up, why do we need to be waiting for the bridegroom? Just some observations I made. What we are left with is three distinct parables. First one speaks about a master that goes away and while he is away, the servants beat and mistreat each other, which speaks about our communal responsibility right now. Then we have the parable we're going to look at today, which is the parable of the ten virgins. speaks about our individual responsibility. What do we do now while we're waiting for Jesus to return? We'll get to that. The parable afterwards is the parable of talents, which doesn't deal with with whether you can sing or not. It's a monetary term which speaks about God seeking a return on investment from what he has deposited in us, which speaks about our imperial responsibility. Then, interestingly enough, we finish off with a parable right at the end of Matthew 25, which has different language. Jesus announces he's coming with all of his angels this time and to separate the sheep and the goats. Interesting. This morning as we begin, let's 
unpack what Jesus has for us, the, the danger you will find in parables is we must, we must grab the main point of the parable and allow the symbolism and the figurative language that is used to, to highlight that. We must not get bogged down in words. We must not get bogged down in individual symbols. We must allow the parable as it was to teach us. Verse 1, then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Notice as we start off, we've got 10 virgins. Why 10? There could be a number of reasons uh, given why there was 10. I don't believe 10 is important this morning, but what is important is every one of them has a lamp. Every one of them has the desire. Every one of them has the intention. Every one of them has gone out to meet the bridegroom. Every one of them has a lamp, which in our language would be a torch. They used these lamps. They were, they were, uh, 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 there was a flame at the top of a very long pole, and you use that to light the streets as you made your way around. It was uh, a bit like the Indiana Jones stuff, you know, where they wrapped it all in cloth. That's why you had to trim them. But they were, this is really important this morning, and we're going to keep covering this. Those lamps were soaked in oil. You know when Jesus said you can't put new wine into old wineskins? You have to renew the wineskins first. You know how you make old wineskins new? Soak them in oil. Every virgin that is mentioned here starts off with a lamp. Every virgin has the intention to meet the bridegroom when he comes. Every one of the parables that I just mentioned to you from Matthew 25 speaks of exactly the same thing, that there is a period of time where there is an absent master or an absent Lord. Keep reading on to see what Jesus has for us. The the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Okay, they're all the same, but now we're going to begin to see that there is a distinguishment between the virgins. Verse 2 says five of them were foolish. Why were five of them foolish? We're going to cover that off in a moment. And five of them were wise. We're going to answer this question right now. Verse 3, for when the foolish took their lamps, they didn't take any oil with them. The difference between a foolish virgin and a wise virgin was the wise ones we read on they took no oil with them verse 4 but the wise took flasks of oil with them it's interesting because whenever we encounter the word oil i think it's a very deep symbolism this morning that we need to touch on that particular word oil there is used 11 different times in the new testament Every time it is used, it speaks of oil that is used in anointing or the anointing of somebody or something. And it is a direct symbolic reference to the person, the wonderful, wonderful gentleman, the Holy Spirit. I want to be clear on a few things before we go any further today. Uh, If you are saved this morning, and I'm trusting that most people in this room are saved this morning, but if you are saved, if you've surrendered your heart to Christ, you have the Holy Spirit within you. You cannot be regenerated, you cannot be saved and not have the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. John 3 tells me it's a work of the Holy Spirit. The wind blows wherever he wishes. The wind, the pneuma, the spirit. But John chapter 3 tells me something very beautiful about the Holy Spirit. When we get down to verse 34, we are told that God gives the Spirit without measure. 
which is going to be enormously important as we begin to distinguish the wise and the foolish in a moment. Some have taken oil, others haven't taken oil. And we can often mistake the Holy Spirit. We can often mistake that as, well, God God likes them more than me, so he gives them more of the Holy Spirit or, or he gives them more of the presence of God. Or I want, to be, I want to be categorically clear today. You are as close to God as you want to be. I'm already preparing the Exodus uh, series. I'm loving it, by the way. But I found a couple of things that really jumped off the page to me. God delivers Israel out of Egypt, brings them through the Red Sea. Uh, You will note that initially God said, let my people go that they may worship me. Promised land wasn't actually mentioned right to begin with. Uh, But they come through the Red Sea, they they take all the plunder of Egypt with them and they come to Mount Sinai as was promised and God comes down in all his glory and all of Israel go, whoa, that guy frightens me. You deal with him, Moses, we're going to hang out down here. Another thing that amazed me was that there is a covenant initiated with Israel. God, uh, by the way, the best way to sum up Exodus, God draws us out that he may draw us in. That's the message. And so God wants to draw the people of Israel in. He forms a covenant with them. He dwells with them. He, he even makes a tabernacle that sits just outside the camp. In that tabernacle was the Shekinah glory of God and over 600,000 people and a handful of them used to go into the tabernacle. I'm going to digress for a moment. There was a man that went into the tabernacle. That after Moses and everybody else had left, he used to linger in the presence of God. Leadership principle number one, great leaders are great lingerers. Joshua, the son of Nun, would lead Israel into the promised land. But I am astounded that the presence of God is right there. Nobody else goes in. And I am astounded today. The challenge that arrives at all of our hearts is, We have the spirit without measure. We are the ones that are setting the limitations. We are the ones that are putting God in a box. We are the ones that are saying to God, you know what, I'll do all of this and then I'll get to you in a moment. Like we kind of tack God on to the end of our day. Look, if I get time, I'll open my Bible sometime today. And we complicate this and we over-mystify it, but soaking ourselves in oil is simply sitting at the feet of Christ. Jesus is going to define this distinguishment in a moment. Before we finish this parable, he absolutely categorically will leave us without doubt this morning what it means to be ready for his coming. Let us keep working our way through this parable this morning. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps as the bridegroom was delayed. Just as an FYI, In the first century, they thought Jesus was returning in their time. In the second century, they were convinced Jesus was returning in their time. In the third century, they were convinced Jesus was returning in their time. He's delayed. But he's 2,000 years closer than he was then. I believe God is distinguishing his church right now. I believe that coronavirus and other matters are a tool in the hands of God and he is drawing a line right down the middle of his church right now. My question this morning as we work our way through is, what side are you? Are you ready? 
We should be living this morning as if Jesus was coming back this afternoon. And if that's the case, how does that change how we're living this morning? More about that in a moment. As the bridegroom was delayed, uh, I actually believe Jesus is on the edge of his seat, by the way. I believe Jesus is sitting on the edge of his seat looking at the Father just waiting for the nod. Before we all blow ourselves up, right? Crazy. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy. This is very interesting. Every one of these virgins, they all become drowsy and they all sleep. But, buts in scripture are usually enormous. But at midnight. Why midnight? Why does Jesus always reference midnight? It's interesting. A.W. Tozer, uh, he writes a book, uh, Born After Midnight, which is a book about revival, interestingly enough, saying that often uh, some of the greatest moves of God have occurred when those tarried past the normal, when everybody else was asleep and drowsy. But why at midnight? Because it's the unexpected hour. If you, are, if you are perusing the internet right now, if you are Google searching when is Jesus coming back, please stop wasting your time. Nobody knows. If any preacher, if any teacher, if any essay, if any book declares that they've kind of constructed a timeline and Jesus is coming back around about there, they're wrong. In the name of Jesus, they're wrong. They don't know. Jesus says of the hour and the time, I don't even know, only the Father. The message is you don't know the time, but you need to stay awake. But at midnight there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Verse 7, then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. Now we're going to see there's a problem. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil. We're going to see there are some things in life you can't borrow. And we're beginning to see right now, this parable is making it enormously clear, there's some things you can't borrow and there's some things that other people can't give you and it's not other people's fault. Some things are your responsibility. I want to tell you this morning, doesn't matter how great a church, how great a pastor, how great a leadership team, how great a book you've read, how great or anything, it's not anybody else's responsibility to keep your lamp burning. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil. You can't. (laughs) Why do they need oil? Here's the message for today. For our lamps are going out. Is your lamp going out this morning? You see, there's good news about being a preacher because you get to say what you want, kind of. But there's bad news about being a preacher. You usually get preached at first. You guys have a bad Sunday. I have a bad week. This is heavy stuff, but it's a reality for the church today. God is sounding a trumpet to the church today. I'm drawing a line here. People's lamps are going out. There are parents in this room that have said, my kids' lamps have gone out. Let's be real for a moment. We know brothers, we know sisters, we know mothers, we know fathers started their race well. They all had lamps, didn't they? They all had a lamp on a pole at one point, but the flame's gone out. At some point in time, they stop soaking themselves in oil. I know ministers that greatly used by God, and the lamp went out. They stopped sitting at the feet of Christ. 
and being soaked in oil. Friends, I can't do that for you. The person sitting next to you can't do that for you. It doesn't matter how righteous your mum and dad were or anything. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how long they spent on the mission field. Right now, this is your responsibility about how soaked in oil you are. The flames are not your responsibility. Soaking in oil. For our lamps are going out. Verse 9, but the wise answered saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. That word buy is the same word that is used in Revelations chapter 3, which speaks about frequenting the marketplace of Christ. What's the difference between the wise and the foolish? One was frequenting the marketplace and had plenty of oil and the other one hadn't been. Here's the greatest enemy to your lamp today, complacency. It's interesting, I've only been a pastor for 3.2 seconds, but I have noticed something enormously interesting. Uh, nobody has ever come to me and said, you know, when I, was, when I was bathing in prosperity and comfort, that's when I was the closest to God. No one's ever said that. However, I've had numerous people say to me, you know what, in my darkest hours, that's when I knew the presence of God. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, for all the gangsters this morning, that's, that's for free. Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, or oh, we're getting to the crunch now. This is a message the church needs to hear this morning as we're coming to the end of this parable. You may be a once saved, always saved this morning. You can hang on to that if you wish, but you have to do something with the end of this parable. And as they were going to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready, if you've got a highlighter this morning, highlight that. Those who were ready. Jesus didn't hang around. The bridegroom wasn't hanging around. I will wait for those guys to go and get some oil. There's a marriage feast awaiting. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready, those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was shut. Verse 11. This is where it starts to bite a little bit. Verse 11. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, got all the right language, right? Saying all the right things. Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, Here it is. I do not know you. The word know or knew or knowledge is used in five different ways in Scripture. The most common way it is used is to speak of an intimate connection or a relationship. For example, in Genesis, it says that Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived and gave birth to a son. That doesn't mean he gained an extra amount of information about Eve and she managed to fall pregnant. It means there was an intimate connection and transaction that happened. And it's the same word that is used here. What Jesus is saying to these virgins is, the reason the door is shut is you weren't ready. And readiness looks like you are living in an active, intimate fellowship and relationship with the bridegroom. I don't know you. This is one of the major themes of the book of Revelation. 
Last week we dealt with the reality that some people will be shut out. If the reality of this grabs us, we will be in the prayer closet praying for our kids. We will be in the prayer closet praying for this city. If we grab the reality that some will be shut out, the the backslidden Christian that serves you coffee isn't safe anymore because you're going to share the love of Christ with him. And you've been praying for him. Truly I say to you, and here's here's the point. Jesus doesn't leave us this parable without making sure we get the point. Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Verse 13, watch therefore, or be ready therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This morning, uh, as I bring this to a close, I'm going to ask Karen if she can just come and uh, play very gently and very lightly this morning as we bring this to a close. What does it mean for you to be ready today? It means for you to be in an active, intimate relationship with God. Jesus needs to stop being a room in your life and he needs to be the house that you construct all of your life into. Last couple of years, interestingly enough, um, just recently I was doing some notes for tonight. By the way, tonight's service is on, doing the calling of God. But I I went back to one of the old messages I preached a couple of years ago, which was right in the thrust of the COVID stuff, right? It was was a little bit more enjoyable preaching to actual faces. Um, My whole audience during COVID used to fall asleep when I preached. That was Reuben. Um, (laughs) But it reminded me, It reminded me of how far we've come. I mean, we really have forgotten just how bad the restrictions were to begin with and just how heavy they were. Whatever your philosophy on those for a moment, set that aside for a moment. What they did was they declared all of these restrictions when coronavirus was coming and they did it all under what they called a state of emergency, which I thought was interesting. As they used that language, they used the language of a state of emergency. And all of a sudden, economies stalled, planes were grounded. You weren't allowed outside of your house. Churches were empty in a heartbeat. But aside from all of that, what we saw was some priorities slung to the background. You know, things weren't important anymore. This is, this is the most pressing, this is the most important thing right now and that's what a state of emergency declares. And everything else is put on the back burner and everything else is forgotten for a moment and we get on. This morning, can we just sit quietly because I want to call the state of emergency right now on the Church of Jesus Christ because there are lamps going out, there are lamps that are burning dim, And the bridegroom could come any moment. You are as on fire for God today as you want to be. You are as soaked in oil today as you want to be. You are as ready for the bridegroom today as you want to be. And the good news is you don't have to leave here the same as you walked in. My heart cries for one thing, 
I pray, earnestly pray, that there's not one person in this room that will be shut out. Not one person. My hope and my prayer is that every one of us will meet the bridegroom with our lamps burning bright. Every one of us will say we are ready. Father, as we sit quietly in your presence this morning, we need you. Holy Spirit, we need you. Soak us in oil, Father. Father, I pray. I pray for every person in this room. There may be somebody in this room today that says, I've never surrendered. I've never, I've never picked up a lamp at all. Don't leave here today. You can surrender your life to Christ today. Maybe you're sitting here going, you know what, Pastor, you're, you're talking to me. My lamp's been burning low. Today's the day to get back at the feet of Christ. Today's the day for priorities. Some of them need to go into the background. I want to ask two questions as you're sitting there this morning and you're pondering. Question number one. If there was one thing in your life today that you knew if you picked that up today, you would be closer to God, why don't you pick it up? If you're sitting here today going, there's one thing I know that if I put this down in my life, I could be closer to God. What's stopping you putting it down? Father, we are all prone to complacency. We are all prone to compromise. Soak us in the wonderful oil of the Holy Spirit, I pray. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.